When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Hey, I'm Christina Wallace. And I'm Kate Scott Campbell. And you're listening to The Limit Does Not Exist, a podcast for human Venn diagrams. Coming at you every other Tuesday. And hosted by us. Today, we're talking with Eugene Chung, a film director and the founder of Penrose Studios, a startup focused on augmented and virtual reality. Previously, Eugene was head of film and media at Oculus VR, which was later acquired by Facebook for $2 billion. While at Oculus, Eugene co-created Story Studio, bringing together storytellers and artists from Pixar. Oh, and fun fact, Eugene and Christina hiked Kilimanjaro together. No big deal. True (laughs) story. We discuss what exactly mixed reality is and why it's a perfect fit for human Venn diagrams. Totally. We also talk about what it's like to be creating an entirely new medium. To be both the painter and the creator of the paintbrush. Plus the idea of presence and how VR is similar to theater. And of course, we ask Eugene what he thinks of Pokemon Go. Of course. (laughs) Let's jump into it. Let's do it. 
Okay. Hi, Christina. How are you? I am well. How are you? Good. And might we say hello, Eugene? Hi, Eugene. Hello. How's it going? <laughs> it's great. By the magic of technology, we are in three different places. So exciting. you know that's how we like to do it around here. <laughs> <laughs> we do. We we love to connect over the uh, the channels of the internet and you know hear each other in in our ears. <laughs> so we have Eugene joining us from San Francisco this morning, is that right? That's San Francisco right. proper? Absolutely. San Francisco Wonderful. proper. Thank Where you. in San Francisco are you, Eugene? So uh, our company is based in Soma, uh, oh, uh, South of Market. I, uh, I used to work in Soma when current TV still existed uh-huh. uh, back in 2007. <laughs> uh, it was wow. a fantastic place to be. And, of course, it's changed and evolved a lot, I know, since then. Um, Absolutely. But, yeah, what a great part of town. That's Absolutely. fantastic. And, and the company that you're talking about is Penrose VR. That's right. That's right. We're, we're Penrose Studios, and we do VR, AR, and um, uh, storytelling. Fantastic. Well, we so, are so excited. To talk given more. that you do VR and AR, or as I think you've called it in a BuzzFeed <laughs> interview, mixed reality, I need to mm-hmm. get your your thoughts. I think Kate agrees with me on we, the, the pressingness both. of this question. I did text <laughs> Christina yesterday and was like, we need to ask Eugene about this. We haven't, we haven't mentioned this to you. We haven't. But what is your opinion of Pokemon Go and why is everyone playing it? It is taking over the world, at least in Los Angeles. It feels oh like my a- God, New York too. What is San this? Francisco. Why is everyone doing it? San Francisco as well. Absolutely. Oh. Well, um, you know, Pokemon Go is is great. Uh, you know, I can't get call myself a Poke Master, but um, I'm definitely <laughs> have, have, have gone on gone on the buzz as well. Um, and a lot of my office has as well independently. Uh, mm. And of course, we are uh, focused on AR. It's a really interesting touch point. I mean, in a short amount of time, it has acquired, you know, more numbers of users than, um, you know, than many sort of mainstream applications that have been around for a while. I think on Android, it's approaching the level of users of, um, of Twitter, which is fascinating. Wow. Only yeah, I saw it past days. Tinder in like the first day, which tells you something about who's using it. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, I couldn't give you a whole lot of, um, you know, sort of very reasoned uh, analysis as to what's what's going on. I'm sure I'm sure the news can do it much better, but I can say on a personal level, and at least for my own team who's looking at it, um, I think what's great about Pokemon Go is that it is, um, um, you know, it's sort of this flash to the past in a way. A lot of yeah. uh, a lot of the people using it now grew up on things like uh, the old Pokemon games on uh, Nintendo Game Boy and other mm-hmm. other devices, mm-hmm. um, and um, it's a mix of that, uh, but adding on this idea of um, uh, you know phone-based augmented reality, which of course mm-hmm. is very different from headset-based augmented reality. Right. Um, and there's something very nostalgic about that and that piece of IP, and adding it on to this sort of fresh layer of what AR could be. And what's interesting is that it's a it's sort of a shadow of what AR can be once you get you know headsets right. You know we're talking about what mm. Microsoft is doing with Hololens, Magic mm-hmm. Leap uh, is doing, um, Meta, several other AR companies, um, but uh, um, but this is uh, what's interesting about this is that it gives you that it gives you um, a window into what that can what that future might look like. 
Well, I think, you know, I showed up. So I work at Disney in L.A. and I, I showed up on Monday morning and mm-hmm. all of my coworkers were like, I have been running around town <laughs> all weekend. One of them was like in a ravine somewhere, which I was oh like, God. where was there a ravine in L.A.? <laughs> They were like exhilarated, and then come lunchtime on the campus, there were, there are a lot of spots on our campus uh, where there's there's Pokemon's, and everyone was running around, and it was kind of amazing because you have to mobilize to play the game, right? So like somebody that I I, I sit next to was like heard about someone or a number of people who were, you know, unable to leave their house for different reasons, they're dealing with depression or, or whatnot, and that they had said that this was the thing that got them out into oh, the world. Wow. Yeah. So it's kind of amazing in terms of now of course everyone's kind of running around holding their phones in, in front of their <laughs> Yeah, but at least they're running. They are out. At least they're running. <laughs> well exactly. exactly. One of my coworkers so definitely complained that she's like, I clearly don't exercise enough because I was sore this morning. From- <laughs> Um, from my Pokemon hunting. Now, okay, very serious question. Is Pokemons the official plural of Pokemon, or is it like sheep, where Pokemon is plural of Pokemon? Um, that, that's, a, that's a good question. I mean, I think individual Pokemon, like, you know, Pikachus, okay. um, or, okay, so you know, okay. uh, you know, because they're, they're different uh, versions of that, or Mews, I guess, are, that, that was sort of the thing we, in the old Game Boy version, we were very excited to find. Um, but there are different Pokemons and different, uh, you know, and yes, I, I do believe, I do believe if I'm correct that, yeah. that both terms can be pluralizable. Well, and I like Eugene that you're saying Pokemon, which I'm assuming mm-hmm. is the result of that accent on the E that I've always wondered about. <laughs> well, Not well, that's just right, like, R. Make you the official authority here. (laughs) I think of the three of us on this podcast, he's probably the official authority. (laughs) Um, This is amazing. I completely missed the Pokemon wave the first time around and the second Mm. time around. I remember there were cards at some point that were traded, but I was so out of the gaming world my entire (laughs) existence that I think Mm. I'm opting out of this one, too, and just going to be the crotchety old woman in the corner being like, what are these kids up to? Um, (laughs) This world world of augmented reality, virtual reality, it's sort of been hinted at uh, multiple times over the last 20, 30 years and and always sort of like, ooh, the future, a little bit like flying cars, right? We kept being promised <laughs> flying cars and we got 140 characters as the, the saying goes. Um, but like, it seems like now this is sort of, this is going to be a thing. Like it's, they just announced they're starting to ship the Oculus Rift headsets and, mm-hmm. um, so it seems like right now uh, is the moment of time where all mm-hmm. these things are finally working out, the creativity, the content, the technology behind it. Um, and you are sitting right at that intersection, uh, which seems pretty awesome. So, like, back up a little bit for us mm-hmm. and tell us how you managed to follow this dual path of both filmmaking mm-hmm. and technology. Absolutely. So, um, so I know somewhat similar to you, Christina, when I've had this, uh, you know, I've had this discussion about creativity and combining that with an analytical based career. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for me, it goes all the way back to my parents. Um, and, uh, when, it, when, you know, my mother is an accountant, a CPA, hmm. uh, and my father is an opera singer. So I've always wow. had this duality of left brain and right brain, mm-hmm. um, throughout, throughout my life. So various things have been important to me, everything from learning how to code, learning how to um, do software development uh, from an early age mm-hmm. and uh, on the analytical side. Um, and on the creative side, I've been you know, directing films, making independent films, 
uh, working in large uh, and you know large movie studios, and uh, you know things like theater, uh, for example, have been important to me my entire life. Hmm. So I've always had that duality, and it's especially because my father is an opera singer that you know I've looked back at um, I look back I look at opera, and as I was growing up in the you know in the uh, uh, suburbs of Virginia. And looking around at, 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 at the neighborhood kids, people would spend time watching television and, um, you know, uh, watching movies. Uh, you know, back then we did, you know, go play outside as well without our iPhones. Um, but, <laughs> um, but when it came to consumption of media, it was always the, the moving picture. Um, but of course, my father sang opera. So I was very, very aware that there was a different kind of art form uh, mm-hmm. that had been around. And in fact, mm-hmm. you, you know, once you dig up the history, you realize... In the 1800s, you know, the stage play, the opera, these were the major dominant art forms of their day. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, the, you know, kind of in the 1890s, the early um, film pioneers created the first moving pictures. Mm-hmm. And over the course of the next 120 years, the moving picture came to dominate, you know, uh, as a major art form. Mm-hmm. And it was so much so that, you know, when I asked people, you know, do you, could you, can you name um, a major movie company? Everyone says, of course, yeah, Disney you know, Fox, Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. But then I asked them to name a major um, stage player opera company. And I've asked now thousands of people because I asked this in crowds. And I will say <laughs> up until up until our Tribeca premiere, no one's been able to answer that question off the bat. Um, and, uh, and then at Tribeca, this one guy raised his hand and started listing off these names that I, I, don't, I don't even remember or know how to pronounce. Turns out he talked, came up to me after. It turns out he was an operatic history professor. So <laughs> a bit of an unfair. Ringer in the outlier. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, wow. But, People uh, aren't even able to like pull the Metropolitan Opera off the top of their head. That seems yeah. so obvious. Well, it was like the the dominant like the dominant companies of mm-hmm. that time, right? Oh, of a of, of hundred years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. You know what was you know right. what was Oscar Wilde when he was doing importance of being earnest? What was yeah. the name of this stage play company that was? Oh. You know, that was <laughs> yeah. No, I can't even so, answer that. And I did a theater major. <laughs> Same. And, <laughs> and these were and these were the major media companies of their of their day, right? Yeah. So these were sort of the you know, the blockbuster productions, the big stars, mm-hmm. um, and yet you know. 100 plus years later, we don't remember, generally don't remember their names on the public consciousness. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, when you think about, um, and some people say, you know, 100 years ago is a long time. How do we have memories that long? But, you know, Paramount Pictures has mm-hmm. been around for over 100 years. It was yeah. founded in the early oh, 1900s. That's right. mm-hmm. And they're remembered because they were on the vanguard of a brand new medium. Yeah. So essentially, my entire life, I've been wondering will I ever live to see the day that we will see another birth of a new medium? Wow. And I basically thought the answer was no, because, you know, I, you know, we had, we've had stage plays for thousands of years. We've had opera mm-hmm. for hundreds of years. We've had mm-hmm. cinema for 120 years, actually to this year, 2016, about 120 years to the year. Um, you know, is it likely in my life that I'll see the birth of a brand new artistic visual audio medium in this kind of way? And what we saw in the 1890s. And I thought the answer was no. I thought there's no way I'll ever live to see that. So I'll have to content myself with making movies, you know, watching, (laughs) you know, musicals and operas, all of which I love, all Mm -hmm. all, all these things I absolutely love. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then virtual reality came around uh, a few years ago. And 
when I saw it, I realized this was the next major medium of storytelling. Well, I love that, Eugene, you were even asking that question, yes. you know, that is there a new medium that could form instead of just kind of, you know, as you said, loving the other mediums, being contented with them. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering if that's how we're, we're so curious because you were involved or, uh, as you say, you were head of film and media um, at Oculus, right? Um mm-hmm. Sort of, uh, it sounds like, you know, kind of before the world really discovered what VR is as it is now and as it is forming now. Absolutely. I'm wondering how that was then on your radar. How did you get there? I'd been interested in virtual reality a while ago. So even mm-hmm. 10, 15 plus years ago when we had VR in the ascendancy in the public consciousness mm-hmm. with things like the, the Nintendo Virtual Boy and other things that ended up becoming you know, didn't, didn't end up becoming that wave of VR people thought. Mm. So it had been on my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I tried the devices, they just weren't, they just didn't live up to the hype back then. Mm-hmm. Um, this time around because of the advancement of smartphone screens, right? So VR mm-hmm. is the un, unintended beneficiary of the smartphone revolution because with the smartphone, uh, companies like Apple and Samsung have spent billions of dollars making, high resolution, high performance displays that cost a fraction of what they cost, you know, a generation ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, you know, all the VR headset displays currently, all the advanced ones use, you know, uh, advanced technology that is effectively, you know, kind of taking two smartphone screens and putting them on, on your, on your, um, you know, in, in the device and then on your head. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that suddenly opened the door and then a little company called Oculus <laughs> came around <laughs> And started to do a Kickstarter. And when I even saw that, I thought this was the future. This could be it. And um, I love that they got started on Kickstarter. That's (laughs) insane. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was the first. Where where were you at that time when you saw this? Was this when you were at NEA? When you were at VC? Absolutely. So I was a VC uh, at NEA. um, And it was one of the, one of the, actually, one of the two sort of game companies, gaming oriented companies that, you know, we at least considered and evaluated. We, we had sort of inside track into into management. But, you know, I would say generally speaking, um, across the VC industry, when, you know, companies like Oculus at the time came out to raise, you know, there were, there were a lot of questions and they were completely legitimate questions. Um, one question was, is a hardware company, right? Mm-hmm. So hardware companies have capital expenditure needs uh, mm-hmm. and large capital expenditure needs with factories in Shenzhen and thing, things like that. So most likely this won't, um, this won't, uh, you know, it, it just requires a lot of capital to get these companies off the ground and, and mm-hmm. successful. Additionally, because it's hardware, with hardware, you don't, hardware companies, you don't have the zero marginal cost advantage that software does. Mm-hmm. So every unit that you sell, you have to, you know, of course, put in uh, working capital and you have to, you know, invest, invest money. So those tend right. to become very difficult businesses for VCs to get behind. So I'd say, I'd say there was a lot of uh, warranted healthy skepticism. The other mm-hmm. thing is, you know, venture capitalists think a lot about market size and market opportunity. And we had seen VR come as a wave before, and you know I think the Virtual Boy sold a few hundred thousand units. And um, you know I, I, when I came back to this, we said VR. How large could VR as a market be? Uh, and I think there was, there was, <laughs> the thought was probably probably not very much. Um, it's probably not going to be very large. So you combine all those things, and it, mm-hmm. it looked like a, a long shot at the time. But I believed in it so much that I ended up first getting my what I called the DK1, which is the first Oculus Dev Kit. And at first, I actually wanted to create a story-driven company based off of, you know, VR after having seen it. Mm-hmm. So I started lining up a team and backing. Um, but then I saw that, um, but, then, but then I said, I have to go see Oculus. So I went to go see Oculus because, you know, I was planning to build, even in those early days, planning to build 
um, this team and company. And mm. they said, well, come, uh, so come, come join us. So I went to, went from the East village where I used to live in New York <laughs> and, uh, and I went out to Irvine and when I was in Irvine, uh, California, which is, you know, about an hour South of LA, yeah. uh, I saw this advanced prototype that they had and it completely changed my mind as to what I thought VR could do. You know, at the time I thought it was going to be big. And when I saw that, I, I, I realized that it was going to completely change the world. And wow. uh, I remember taking the headset off and, you know, um, continue to have a conversation. It was actually the CEO at the time, you know, uh, uh, who was giving me the demo. And we had a, I had a few chats with several other team members and the CEO. And they, they were like, you know, Eugene, you've got this. You can, you can go and um, do this thing yourself. But I think it would be much more interesting for you to do this within Oculus. Uh, so he invited me to come on board wow. as head of film media at Oculus. Um, and, uh, and that was, that was how I got, that's how, that's how I joined Oculus. So I had never heard of Oculus until you took that job. I remember uh, you were like, by the way, Christina, I'm moving from New York. You've got two weeks to come say goodbye. And I was like, what? This is news. Well, was uh, this before, wasn't it 2014 when Oculus Rift debuted at Sundance? Do I have this wrong? Wasn't it a couple of years ago? I, I just know that I have friends who, who really, their passion for VR sort of happened when they saw Mm-hmm. you know oculus yeah this is did you head out there in 2013 eugene i'm trying yeah. to remember yeah, yeah. so this is before yeah. this i just mm-hmm. remember mm-hmm. i was like what is this thing why is he moving <laughs> it's not going to be anything like i called my friend at disney who's pretty high up and i was like have you heard of this thing called oculus he's like yes christina uh and then six months later i kid you not facebook is acquiring oculus and i was like mm-hmm you know what? There's a reason Eugene is a venture capitalist and I am not. And that is because he sees the future. <laughs> that, that was, it just seemed like perfectly uh, prescient timing, but I, um, it sounds like you were, you were riding this wave for a while and it just seemed like uh, a great opportunity. So you went and joined Oculus. You were with them, what, two years, year and a half. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, absolutely. And did you work on this, this thing that was at Sundance? So not not the not the first thing, um, mm-hmm. but the the second thing that that mm. that's being referenced, which is the first sort of Oculus thing, because the first year Oculus it was just a sort of third parties or people mm-hmm. who had Oculuses who put fun content mm-hmm. in, mm-hmm. and then we started making efforts in earnest. But you mm-hmm. know, I appreciate the, the kind words. I think I think as, <laughs> as with all things, luck has a lot <laughs> to play into it. Sure, and I'll, I'll say I, I definitely had no idea. I remember similar to you, I, I, I thought you know this is hard. This is going to be a hard um, you know kind of. This is going to be a hard company to build. I really believe in the technology and the people. Um, but, uh, you know, at the time I thought it was going to be a much longer, um, much longer journey. Mm-hmm. And, and truth be told, I'll, I'll say I think the Facebook acquisition was a gigantic catalyst for VR and AR overall in terms really? of the industry mm-hmm. and has led it to have the kind of excitement and the, and the kind of quality people and technology outside of even Oculus that's been built up today. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it's going to take a while, right? Because I think this is a large transformation and yeah. potentially a large societal transformation. You know, you can't mm-hmm. instantly just beam this to your mobile phone, right. um, you know, even though we're finding ways to do that. But it's not like you can just put a Pokemon Go app um, to, to get that to work. For VR, for true immersive VR, you right. know, you need to have the right kind of hardware. So, yeah. the, you know, there's still mm-hmm. there's still a lot that we have to do. So even though... VR is big in the public conscious. I would say mm-hmm. all of us who are working in it are, are very dedicated to helping grow this industry as a whole. Mm-hmm. Because right now we all recognize it's small and it's, it's niche at the moment. And uh, uh, niche when it comes to hardware distribution. And so mm-hmm. it's our jobs to build this into a real artistic medium, 
into a real technological revolution. Mm-hmm. And we think that we're on the cusp of something that's really, really can be really quite incredible. But it will take time, uh, uh, despite all of the, the excitement around the industry. Well, well, tell us about Penrose. Yeah, it's been called the Pixar VR. Uh, uh, it's been described as a film studio for the future, um, and often as a, a VR AR sort of mixed reality startup. Is it a film studio, a tech startup, both? Uh, are you both artistic director and CEO? How, how does how does that work? Uh, there's a lot of questions there for you, but pick pick your favorite. Indeed, <laughs> absolutely. So I'll, I'll try I'll, I'll try to take a stab stab at all. So it is um, definitely a we're, we're, we're definitely a, an interesting mix. It's hard to kind of categorize. And, and what I love about, you know, the focus that, that, that you both have is this idea of, you know, how, how do you mix creativity, technology? Um, we're very much that. Mm-hmm. So we're, at, you know, the, the heart of a resurgence of, of uh, technology startups in San Francisco, uh, you know, Soma and the Mission and other areas. We're seeing so much more um, vibrancy in that, yeah. and so and you know we're backed by classic Silicon Valley VCs um, in our s- seed round. So um, you know we're, we see ourselves as a technology company, and we are building some incredibly unique and interesting technologies. Um, so that's 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 number one. Mm-hmm. But number two, we 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 also are a collection of artists. And what's interesting is that in many ways, a lot of the people at Penrose are both a creative and technical bunch. So they both, um, have, um, you know, are on the creative side and they're also on the technical side. Mm -hmm. So, um, and they often exist as sort of the same person. So, um, (laughs) that's, uh, you know, it's, it's a a particular quirk and character of of our team. Um, so you have an entire yeah. team of human Venn diagrams. Then. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I'm, I'm guessing you you potentially seek that out, or mm. or you, I'm sure attract yeah. attract people who have yeah. both mm-hmm. left and right brain interests. Yeah, we, we we I think first and foremost we um, you know when we hire we have a number of things that we look for, but you know the idea of sort of um, you know what we call athletes or people who can. Um, kind of be thrown into different situations mm-hmm. and excel, perform, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and all of them, and uh, and, and the passion for what we're doing is super important. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's the thing that you know we're, we're we we um, sort of thrive on is you know everyday people coming to work and being super passionate about the thing that we're creating, mm-hmm. and um, the idea of being passionate about creating a new art form and being on the vanguard of that is something very special. Uh, we, we have a very special group of people. Um, you know, and some people are more pure engineers, some people are more pure, you know, artists, Mm -hmm. but, uh, everyone is an all around athlete and incredibly good at what they do and passionate about, about what they do as well. Why did you decide to go and start your own VR company instead of continue on in house with Oculus? Absolutely. So after the acquisition, I I stayed on for a bit and, uh, continue to build the team at, at, uh, Oculus Story Studio Mm -hmm. and sort of built up some of the first people there, built some of the first movies, laid the foundation. Um, but what I wanted to do before I even joined Oculus was to create my own, you know, separate company Mm -hmm. and joining Oculus, I thought it would probably take a long time, right? Because you know, I had to wait for, for that to play out and then wait for the industry to grow and to mature. Um, you know, I thought uh, Oculus Story Studio at the time, which is the team that it built out, was was in a was in a pretty good good place. But the new challenge and the ability and the the the, the ability to both create a new company and culture, but also to create a new artistic direction for where we could take 
VR and mm-hmm. AR mm-hmm. and do it across all the platforms, right? All these emerging platforms. Now we have the PlayStation VR, the HTC Vive, you know, Samsung Gear VR, Microsoft HoloLens, Magic Leap. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was just this really incredible opportunity. Um, and, you know, the um, uh, mothership was supportive in the sense, you know, we, we um, there's a few companies that get these sort of, you know, sort of publishing agreements with uh, with Oculus. So, um, you know, we were, we were lucky and fortunate that we got some of, some early support there oh, uh, from great. them um, without sort of, uh, you know, but with the freedom to be able to be across all of the devices. All the platforms, yeah. um, so, you know, that that's um, that's a big part of. Uh, why we're doing what we're doing, and you know, being able to 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 really break that ground artistically and creatively and technologically has been mm-hmm. has been interesting. And as you as we mentioned, you know, sort of in the early days of a technology, or in these days, this seems, you know, at least <laughs> as good a time as any. I mean, timing is always tough for investors, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, but this seems like the time to be doing what we're doing. So and, I, uh, I was reading. In the BuzzFeed um, profile on you, it's a great profile. We're going to post to that on our Twitter and show mm-hmm. notes. Um, but they were mentioning that instead of developing on a computer for uh, for you know VR headsets, that you guys had actually developed technology that allowed you to create these movies natively in in mm-hmm. VR. Um, how yeah. how do you how do you even do that? Like create the technology as you're, you know, building. Um, it just seems, I mean, everyone says you, you know, you build the plane after you jump, but th- this feels like you're even <laughs> deriving what a plane is after you've jumped and hoped that you have, you know, a good sense of what the blueprint should be so you can build it at some point before you hit the ground. How do you, how do you even approach that type of a, a problem? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a, it's a wonderful point. And, it's like we like to say we're we're painting the paintbrush, uh, or we're <laughs> creating the paintbrush while we're creating the painting at the same time, mm-hmm. which is a slightly different metaphor, but maybe a little less. You know, we don't we don't hit the ground artistic. if you if you get the uh, if you get the paintbrush wrong. Versus getting the uh, it feels very sure. You know that that drawing <laughs> of like the yes. hands drawing the hands. Yeah, I love that. Hand. I love that picture. Um, absolutely. So you know, we we like to think about it as native VR creation tools. What's interesting is if, you know, we, we draw a lot, as you can probably tell from earlier, from the history of cinema. And in the early days of cinema, we, you know, in the very earliest days of cinema, a lot of people who are, who are stage directors try to become cinema directors. And a lot of those people ended up, you know, not being able to cross over or transition. Oh, interesting. Um, because their language, their mm-hmm. artistic language was based off of the stage play. Right. So they would do things like put a camera in front of a stage, mm-hmm. and they would call that cinema. But it took an entirely new um, artists who are native to cinema mm-hmm. to create um, in that. So you know D.W. Griffiths, who's widely credited as the inventor of the cinematic close-up, mm-hmm. which I think is one of the most important um, pieces of cinematic language we've developed in the last 120 years. Um, but but that was developed by an, a native to cinema and a native to film artist. Mm-hmm. Um, you know things like um, there, there are things like this and, and other things, and so when it comes to VR, I think our, our really important goal is to be able to do um, and think natively as VR creators, hmm. um, because the more we do that, uh, the more effective we become. So, you know, a lot of Alimet Alimet lives in this town floating in, in the sky, hmm. and a lot of the layout of that town and a lot of the the, the the way the clouds are and these other things were actually decided. 
and actually done in VR with, you know, several of our, you know, developers, engineers, artists, you know, working together to use our own tools, Penrose created tools to like move things around, move, you know, move the layout, create the layout here, you know, kind of draw out and do this all in VR. And so we had some wow. people who were in VR for hours, days, hours, days at a time um, to, to, and VR was effectively their work, workstation, which was fascinating. Um, so wow, it's been that, an interesting process. It's still early days, but I, I will say we're not to the point where everyone is in VR all day, every day in terms of their right. primary workstation, mm-hmm. but there are definitely certain tasks that are mm-hmm. far better for VR. And it makes us much better um, as thinkers to be thinkers in VR. Well, and how are you? How are you kind of figuring out how to do that? Is it a classic case of just kind of, you know, jumping in and trial and error? Because it's interesting that you are essentially you are building this new medium without without a blueprint in front mm. of you. And there's so much technology involved, mm. you know. In addition to the artistry, mm. uh, you know, do you just kind of put on the headset and go, let's see what happens? Or, you know, how do you approach a new challenge that there might not be a solution to yet? It's interesting. I, I would say it's a lot of trial and trial and error, mm-hmm. um, to be honest, a lot of iteration. And, mm-hmm. you know, we try a lot of things that don't work in virtual or augmented reality. Mm-hmm. Um, we have two projects we've announced, the Rose and I, which was at Sundance, as you mentioned, uh, mm-hmm. just a few months ago. And then mm-hmm. Alan Metz, which premiered at Tribeca, a few months ago. Mm-hmm. And, and yet there are many more projects that we've done that we haven't released because we haven't <laughs> felt that it approached the quality level of the quality bar. We've mm-hmm. tried a lot of different things. And what's interesting is that a lot of times when people see VR, the first moment they see it and they, they get enraptured in, in presence and they, and they get taken to another world, mm-hmm. they, um, they often forget, they, they then come out and, and I did the same thing. You come out and you say, I bet you could do these you know, hundred things in VR and it's going to be great, right? Like, you know, skydiving, you know, watching, you know, <laughs> being this, being the football, you know, the, the main, uh, player in a football game. Um, <laughs> and then you actually dive into it. And frequently most of that, I would say 90% of the things on that list are often wrong, <laughs> right? <laughs> of the average person. And, and I don't know if what the exact number is 90 or 80 or whatever, but it's, it's a large percentage of what you think of what one thinks when one first starts to look into VR mm-hmm. is often wrong because it really is a new language, which means that um, we're not used to thinking in that way. So, you know, our, our, our concept, conceived notions about what that is is wrong. I mean, when we watch a movie today with all these cuts, I mean, if you took somebody from the 1890s and put them into a modern movie theater and they watched a modern movie, it would be really confusing to people. You know, mm-hmm. the idea of all these cuts and how do these cuts work and why, mm-hmm. why is it jarring and jumping? Totally. And we've developed that language as a, as a species and as a, as a group mm-hmm. over time and over the course of 120 years. And we're mm-hmm. just at the cusp of starting that with VR. So, yeah. so that means that there's so many things left to explore creatively, technologically, but in a lot of ways, it's just really hard. It's really hard to make good VR. It's really, really, really <laughs> difficult because so many things are unintuitive. Oftentimes things are exactly the opposite of what you might conceive it to be. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm which has been fascinating, which means that you make a lot of stuff that you think is genius and brilliant. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it, you see it in VR and you got to see it in VR, right? That's the big thing I, right. I try to emphasize with our team. You have to see everything in VR. We refuse to do reviews in anything other than VR. Mm. Nice. Um, mm-hmm. So, and that's proven to be a really good, um, you know, really good, uh, a standard, but, um, 
How do you yeah, ride that wave of, you know, being so, uh, you know, hopeful about a project and then sort of having to let it go, <laughs> cut your losses, move on to the next thing? Yeah, it's really difficult. I mean, it's yeah. really difficult to manage because, mm-hmm. um, I mean, w- what we do is we try to iterate and, and prototype, right? Yeah. So so quickly mm-hmm. prototype, quickly get something into VR. We get stuff mm-hmm. into AR and VR as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. And we take a look at it and then, you know, more more likely than not, it doesn't work. So then we adjust, we adjust, and we keep adjusting and we try to figure out a way to get it to work. Mm-hmm. And then and then it, sometimes it does and sometimes it does not, and we have to go back to to square one. Mm-hmm. It, it's so cool. You're sort of constantly experimenting, you know, mm-hmm. in, in so many ways. Well, it also seems like, you know, your experience in the tech world, um, mm-hmm. it, a lot of it overlaps, right? Early stage startups, you try 100 things and hope uh-huh. that one works <laughs> out, but you learn yeah. to prototype and test and iterate very quickly so right. that you're not developing fully, you know, completed films only to get to the end and say, oh... I guess that one doesn't really work. Sorry, we wasted mm-hmm. the last six months on this. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Absolutely. So it seems like your, your training on both sides kind of uh, keeps you in shape for, for the other. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame starting May 7th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. 
the war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, right? There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wild Card on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. So I have a question about presence. Um, it's mentioned in the BuzzFeed article. You've you've now mentioned it. When I tried on um, a VR headset at South by this year, um, mm-hmm. it put me. It wasn't a, a film. I think it was a game. It put me in like the first person perspective, mm-hmm. right? So I'm in this world. I can turn any which way I want. I can look up. I can move. Um, mm-hmm. But when you think about film, that doesn't really work. I mean, uh, you know, to be a character in a film seems like you should be able to uh, mm-hmm. impact the film. And and so the way that um, the, the two films that the BuzzFeed reviewer or reporter uh, was looking at said that you guys take a different perspective where you're not a first person viewer, mm-hmm. but still like an omnipresent uh, uh perspective how how does that work or what is what is your thought around presence and how do we get to be in a world but not feel like we should be able to be part of it and impact that world well and i would just chime in to add since you've mentioned theater so much to eugene and both of us have theater backgrounds i'm wondering if you feel that in some ways and what christine is talking about vr is closer to theater than in film or if it's somehow related Absolutely. I actually think that VR is closer to theater than film, mm-hmm. um, where like the set is like, you know, our production designer, Shannon, like, uh, likes to say the set's like a character uh, to mm-hmm. her because you got to mm-hmm. you got to design it to be seen from all angles as opposed mm-hmm. to a film where you design to see it from a certain shot. Right. Um, I actually, you know, it's funny you mentioned theater because frequently I, I, you know, in our team meetings and things, I always say think theater, not film. Really? A lot of our team comes from the film world, the game world. And a few people have theater experience just because, you know, they're in film and they've been in entertainment, so they, they do mm-hmm. have 
experience in theater. And we actually mm-hmm. find ourselves drawing ourselves more from that than we do from film in, in some ways. Now, mm. I, I couldn't give you percentages or anything, but right. I think, you know, there's a lot of film interests, a lot of game interests, but the principles we use are actually more theater based and theater, not film is a, is a, I would say a refrain. I want to call it a motto of ours, mm. but it's definitely a refrain mm-hmm. that we, uh, that we use now. Now the reality is it really is a new art form as disparate from film and theater as theater is from film mm-hmm. or that, you know, right. the mm-hmm. opera is from, right. you know, cinema. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so it, it, it draws from the elements of all, like it draws from video games, it draws from film and it draws from theater um, but I think theater of those three is probably the least recognized, right? Mm. Which is why we say theater, not film, mm-hmm. because, um, you know, most people, at least that we work with here, come from things like the CG film world, you know, mm-hmm. animated studios, mm-hmm. major studios. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's interesting. You know, presence is, uh, in many ways, the holy grail of VR. It is that unmistakable feeling of being someplace else, of getting transported someplace else. Mm. It is that uh, when you first feel presence, you you don't forget it. You know, when I was sitting in that office in Oculus, seeing that advanced prototype, that's when I first experienced presence, um, being able to move around an entire room. Um, oftentimes, people talk about presence as you know, you know, some of the important elements like what we call six degrees of freedom. And this is the ability mm-hmm. to move around in space, you know, not just looking at a 360 video rooted, mm-hmm. but being able to walk from one side of a room to another in VR, having the, you know, camera, having you get followed and tracked uh, as if you were really there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, so that's a really important concept uh, in VR, being able to be transported. Now, there's a separate idea and, and here's where, you know, it goes into what I talked to earlier about obvious and non-obvious. There's a separate concept of, um, of identity in VR. So I think the concept of identity in VR is one of these great unanswered questions we have yet to really address. Mm-hmm. Because the immediate thing when you put on VR and you feel presence is you immediately feel like, I am myself. You know, right. when, when you're in a movie, you actually, or you're listening to a story in general, you actually generally disengage with your body. Mm-hmm. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm watching a movie in a theater, it's dark. I don't really see other people around me. If the person next to me takes out their iPhone and starts, you know, you know, starts playing Pokemon Go or something. You want to elbow you, them. Yeah. yeah you, you, you first become aware of your immediate surroundings, right? You're no longer mm-hmm. watching a movie in, in the world of the movie. You suddenly mm-hmm. first become aware that you are in a theater and then, and then you realize you're kicked out of the story because mm-hmm. you are now back, present back in your body. So there's a really interesting conflict where, where we have, you know, we actually think that presence and storytelling are actually in conflict with each other. It doesn't mean that they can't coexist, but they are, they are these things where every time you're told a story, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, thousands of years ago around a campfire where, you know, you were, um, where, you know, you, you know, you were listening to somebody tell a story, uh, or to the modern day theater or, or cinema, you generally disengage with yourself. And the instant that you become aware of yourself like if you're in a car chase, mm-hmm. you know, uh, down a freeway, you are in a story if other people are watching you, but when you're in it, you're in it, right? You're not thinking about how you're in a story. Right. So mm-hmm. um, this identity thing is really interesting because in VR, you immediately think, well, it should be myself, obviously. Mm-hmm. I'm the one who should be there. Mm-hmm. But the problem with you in VR right now is that, you know, when you're in the CG environment, you're moving around um, and you're seeing things in there like, like let's say you see an animal like a like a like a cat for example and you try to you see it in the environment and you try to pet the cat or you try to do other things in vr what happens is that you feel 
because AI, artificial intelligence, deep learning, things like that aren't Mm -hmm. there yet to really replicate a human or a really sentient being um, or or really even an alive being in in VR appropriately. You know, you might go look at that cat, stare at the cat, but it won't react to you the way that you think it might. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, or you might see a lion or something else and you try to like you can do a whole lot of different things, but it's it's really hard to, to create a realistic cat. So um, this actually, um, you know, one of my former colleagues at Oculus actually coined this term, which I think is really great. But have you guys seen the movie Ghost? With yes, Patrick Swayze? yes, yes, yeah, absolutely. So, so there's, um, you know, in Ghost, uh, you have this Patrick Swayze is, is, is past, he's, he's a ghost, he's dead. Mm-hmm. And he goes back to his girlfriend, he tries to wave his arms around saying, mm-hmm. hey, I'm here. And she, you know, she ignores him because he's dead and he's a ghost. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. that's actually exact. That feeling is exactly what it feels like in VR when you're waving your arms around like a fox <laughs> or a cat, and, you're, that's and, such a and great it's not comparison. and it's ignoring you. Uh-huh. And so, one of my former colleagues, Aki, has coined this term called the Swayze effect uh, <laughs> to describe that's that brilliant. that exact um, thing. And I think this is you know it's one of those it's it's both emblematic of this identity problem. It's, it's a subset of this identity problem, and. Um, it's also uh, uh, sort of highlighting how fun it is in VR. We, we, it is literally a new language. Mm-hmm. So we are having to invent names for things that we don't actually have the words <laughs> for yet, which is interesting. That's so cool. Um, that, uh, well, I, I'd love to, since we are unfortunately mm-hmm. close to time, but I'd love yeah. to take that, that idea of identity and, and ask to you, you know, it's mm-hmm. incredible that you have managed to have your feet in both you know, throughout your career so far in both filmmaking and in business and in tech. And it mm-hmm. seems that VR is this kind of incredible coming together of mm-hmm. so many of your talents and your skills mm-hmm. and your passions. Mm-hmm. What do you think you would be doing right now if VR wasn't where it is right now, if, if it wasn't a thing, if, if we were 20 years ago and VR didn't exist yet? What do you think you'd be doing? Yeah, that, that's actually a great question. Um, I, I don't, I, I don't have the time to sit and think about what that would be. Um, Classic Eugene answer. It's, it's sort of an impossible question. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a great question. I mean, probably something else on the forefront of technology mm-hmm. and you know media, um, because yeah. I've always been fascinated by that, by that, by that intersection. Mm-hmm. And, and you're right. You know, I think this. You know, when you have the outset of a new industry. You have a whole lot of opportunities. You know, the first filmmakers were entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition to being technologists, in addition to being creatives, right? You had to you just do this new thing called the camera. So you, know, you had to think about how to creatively use it, and then you had to figure out how to make know, money off um, of it. Yeah, you, know, you had to figure out how to put <laughs> put them. food on the yeah. table. Yeah. Uh, so, so you know, a lot of the early film pioneers were were actually that, and I think that the early stages of an industry, especially one that's entertainment or media focused. You're actually given that kind of uh, ability in a way that mm. classic entertainment um, is not, right? You go, you know, entertain, you know, Hollywood is established, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is an established uh, uh, place with certain um, certain characteristics. And, you know, you go in and you usually go in as with the idea of hitting certain roles, right? You know, you're, you're either a, um, you know, you might be a director of photography, right? You might right. be a production designer. You might... Mm-hmm. Go do this and that, mm-hmm. but VR gives us opportunity to open the field and in a way that only that new industries can. And you know, there are other industries that I find incredibly fascinating. I mean, you know, I, I look at the world, and you know, while there are so many things that that one can look at and say, "Wow, you know, this could be better," there's also the, we're also living in this incredible you know time. You know, I, I wonder how historians are going to come back and look at this era of technological progress and evolution because there are so many um, companies, there's so many industries that are advancing. Um, and I think, you know, while other industries 
that are on the Vanguard might not be um, have might not have the same exact um, uh, you know uh, a characteristic of reinventing an entire art form, uh, which is the way I think of it. Um, I think there are other things that are that are super exciting that afford the opportunity to, like you say, use disparate skill sets in a way that's effective. Mm-hmm. Amazing. So we are we are absolutely up against time. Uh, we want to make sure we get a couple of our lightning round questions in. <laughs> so I'm I'm sorry we're going to have to um, end this. We could have easily done another half an hour hour with you Eugene. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you, this everyone. is absolutely <laughs> fascinating and i feel like of all of the uh, the podcasts we've done so far of all the episodes like vr feels like the perfect representation of the hashtag human venn diagram <laughs> that, <laughs> that we uh, preach so i'm so excited that we got to talk yeah. about that a little bit yeah, okay absolutely so here's the lightning round here's how it works you didn't get these questions ahead of time that's the half nope. of the fun um so the idea we're just going to pepper you with the questions and you have to say the first thing that comes to mind no sure. apologies we're going to try not to uh, turn it into a discussion we have a terrible <laughs> habit of doing that um, okay. so the clock is going to keep us <laughs> sure. um, so just first thing off the top <clears throat> of your head sure so here we go number one what are you watching right now or what was the last thing that you watched oh, uh, game of thrones oh Fabulous. okay okay <laughs> yep Great answer. Okay. <laughs> uh, Johnny Mnemonic or Total Recall? These are two 90s films that mm. touched on VR <laughs> in their total, own way. Total Recall. <laughs> I watched it again recently. Did really you? Nice. So yeah. fascinating. Um, okay. Bitcoin, bullish mm-hmm. or fad? Um, definitely bullish on cryptocurrencies overall. Okay. Um, okay. I'm not sure about Bitcoin specifically. Oh, Fantastic. nicely you're, done. You're great at this. Navigating Eugene. this. Okay. <laughs> uh, do you have a shout out for a woman who's doing awesome things in mixed reality that you just love to shout out? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, many people, you know, Nani de la Pena, who's, who's frequently billed as the god uh, godmother of VR. My friend Christine from, you know, from college is now, I think, uh, heading up his dev at a company called Immersive. My friend Yelena at Oculus Story Studio. So, of course, the, the, the wonderful people of um, Penrose, the wonderful women of Penrose, uh, some of our most senior leaders are, are women as well. So, of course, shout out to Shannon Jeffries, our production designer, um, you know, uh, Bruna Burford, our, our lead animator, um, and several other folks who are, um, I mean, I would say, I think something like, you know, we're not quite yet at 50, 50 but I think we did a count recently, it was like 40% or something of our of our team is that's is, is awesome. Winning, so, um, wow. and a lot, several folks in key leadership positions. So, Very obviously, cool. everyone, everyone on our team, um, as well. Who I'd, of course, love to give a shout out to. <laughs> and generally speaking, people of all genders on our team who are just doing such an incredible <laughs> job, doing Absolutely. an amazing time building and uh, creating Penrose. It's an absolute thrill and pleasure to go to. Uh, to work every day with them. So that's, I, I'm just picturing uh, a, a dinner party with everyone who works at Penrose being like the most interesting, <laughs> oh, I'm fascinating sure. I'm gathering sure. of individuals, of athletes. I love that term that you That is a great term. With. <laughs> so awesome. Tech trend other than mixed reality that is getting you excited right now. If you were still in your VC days, what would you be getting psyched about? <laughs> Well, um, I suppose this is now a boring answer, but I've been very interested in deep learning, machine learning um, mm. for, for a while. Um, but, but that's a pretty uh, unexciting thing to say at you know, <laughs> to the middle of 2016. Um, but I still think that's going to be huge. I mean, it's obviously one of the other sort of really key trending areas right now. 
No, nice. that's fantastic. Nice. Eugene, we, we are so, so thrilled that we've been able to talk with you a little bit. Um, we will definitely link to uh, Penrose and, and all of your related assets for sure. So our listeners who I know are just going to be eating this up mm. <laughs> can Indeed. learn more about what you're We didn't doing. even get to talk about Divided Families, the film project you work on there. So we're going <laughs> to we're gonna add a lot more content in our show notes and in sure. our Twitter to make sure that our listeners can, uh, can dig into some of your other projects out <laughs> side of Penrose. So awesome. Okay, we Thank won't you. keep you any longer. Thank you so much for making time to join us, Eugene. And uh, hopefully I'll get to see you in person again one of these days. It's been yes. far too long. So Absolutely. Thank you so much. This was a, a lovely opportunity, wonderful time, and I really appreciate the, the opportunity. It was great. Thank awesome. you so much. Thanks, Eugene. Uh-huh. Bye. Amazing. Bye. Thank you. I'll see you. Oh my goodness, now I really want to find an excuse to go out to San Francisco and visit Penrose. Oh not gosh. not just to see what they're working on, but I want to meet their team. I mean, can you imagine, Kate, an entire office of human Venn diagrams? Like I said, I'm just picturing us at the dinner party. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. I also, I can't help but see the connection between what Eugene is doing at Penrose and how Danielle Feinberg talked about Pixar, how they create the technology to serve the story, which is... Actually, what Eugene mentioned in that BuzzFeed profile we mentioned, he said something like, we're doing this for art's sake, for story's sake, and not because anyone wants us to. And your point, Kate, your question about the relationship between theater and VR was perfect. But I love his his not quite motto, think theater, not film, he said. It's, I know. It's just such a great illustration for those of us who haven't yet had the chance to try out virtual reality. Absolutely. I'm really excited that Eugene and his team of athletes are on the forefront of creating this new art form. As the Skyler sisters say, how lucky we are to be alive right now. <laughs> There's the requisite Hamilton reference. Good Click job. <laughs> You're welcome. Mm-hmm. Tune in next time when we sit down with Risa Puno, a sculptor and installation artist who makes art that's inspired by math as much as social media. Oh, and she sings and tutors math on the side as one does. Oh my gosh, she already sounds like our soul sister. Until (laughs) then, remember, the limit limit does does not not exist. exist. Oh, we're getting so much better. Yeah, it's like a C+. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, 
offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers.